Why surrender? Why is it so necessary for us to surrender? What is so important about that? We also want to talk about why is it so difficult for us to surrender? Why do we struggle so much to surrender all? And then the fourth thing we want to talk about is the benefits of surrendering. And let me tell you, there are certainly benefits in surrendering. So let's go to the Word tonight and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Word. Your Word is powerful. Your Word, Father God, can change. Your Word, Father God, can transform. Father God, your Word, Lord God, can do all things. Father, we thank you, Father. We're not praying for your Word because your Word doesn't need prayer. But Lord, we pray for those that are here tonight. Open up their hearts. Give them ears to hear. And Father, begin to speak into their lives in the areas that they need to be spoken to. Father, touch everyone here tonight by your Spirit. Let the Spirit of God help have his uh, free course tonight. Father, we thank you for ministering your word. Father, speak through me, Father God, your words of life. And Father, I must decrease while you increase. And Father, in the end, that you may receive all glory and praise for the word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen and amen. So what does it mean to surrender? You know, we're a people that we don't like to surrender anything. We don't like giving up nothing. You know, if you're into sports, you know, we like to play sports, and we want to win. We don't want to concede. We don't want to defeat. We don't want to give up. But in, in, in life, God calls us to live a life that is surrendered to him. So the word surrender is a battle term. It's a military term, which simply means giving up all rights to the conqueror. When the opposing army surrenders, he lays aside his weapons, he gives up his field of battle, and he hands over his flag. And the conquering army controls it from that point on. So when we're talking about surrender, we are talking about literally the means to give up or to relinquish possession and control. Think about that. Have you ever given up something, especially something that you love? I remember when I was teaching my oldest daughter how to drive. She had gotten her, her permit, and she was really excited and pumped, and she wanted to drive. Every day, she was asking me, Dad, let's drive. Dad, can we drive? Dad, can I drive? Like, understand this. From my perspective, I'm not used to giving up control of my car, and especially someone who just got a permit. Because for me to let her drive, I would have to give up or relinquish my seat at the driver's seat, on the driver's side. I would also have to relinquish control of the steering wheel. Once I've done that, I lost all control of the car. And now the car is in, in control of this young teenager who just got her permit. So you can imagine the experience I had driving with her. And, and, and because I'm not used to giving up control of the car, I'm, I'm sitting on the passenger side, and I'm, instinctively I'm pressing on the air brakes on the passenger side every so often because I've lost control. And every once in a while I'll reach over to the steering wheel just to gain some control. That's what it's like to have concede or relinquish control. You're, you're, out of it. you're out of the picture. You have no control because you're giving it to someone else. So to 
relinquish control, you're also relinquishing authority and power and rights. But surrendering to God works the same way. Because when we surrender to God, we're relinquishing control over our plans, our dreams, our ideas, our goals. We're relinquishing control over our possessions, our finances, even our spouse, and even our children. So to surrender to God means to yield ownership over what we consider ours. That also includes our very lives. So to surrender, listen to this, to surrender is fully relinquishing of our rights, all of our rights, to our own selves. In other words, I'm relinquishing all of my rights to own myself. So what I'm saying is this. When I'm relinquishing all rights, I'm giving it to someone else to own me rather than me owning myself. Now, there are several examples in the Bible. I want you to go to John chapter 6, and let's look at some examples of a surrendered life. John chapter 6, verse 38. Here's a supreme example of surrendering. In verse 38, it says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Notice what Jesus said. He says, I came here, not for my own agenda, not to start my own church, not to gain any popularity, not to get any personal gain. I came here solely to do the will of God. That is an attitude of submission and surrender. While you're still in John's Gospel, the sixth chapter, go one, one chapter backwards, chapter 5, and look at verse 30. Verse 30 of chapter 5 of John's Gospel, it says this. Jesus' words, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Now, let me read that to you from the Amplified Version. I'm able to do nothing from myself independently of my own accord. But only as I am taught by God and as I get his orders, even as I hear, I judge. I decide as I am bidden to decide, as the voice comes to me, so I give decisions. And my judgment is right, just righteous, because I do not seek or consult my own will. I have no desire to do what is pleasing to myself, my own aim, my own purpose, but only the will and pleasure of the Father who sent me. Now, that's a mouthful, but that's what Jesus did. That's the attitude that he had. 
He did nothing without the Father's consent. He didn't move or he didn't speak unless God spoke to him or prompted him to move. So Jesus did nothing apart from God. Now, you might say, yeah, but that's Jesus. He's the Son of God. But let me say this. When Jesus came to this earth, he did not come to live as God. He came to live as a human being. Go with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And in verse 7. It says this, referring to Jesus, but made himself of no reputation. Other translation says he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now notice the emphasis here. It says that he emptied himself or stripped himself. Everything he enjoyed in heaven, he stripped away. And when he came down to earth, he took on the form of a bond servant. And it says he came into the likeness of men. And he had the appearance of a man. When he came, he came to live as a human being. That means the life that he enjoyed, the life that he experienced, it's the same life that you and I experience. Not only that, but like ourselves, he also had his own will. Jesus was completely man, but he was also God. But when he came here, he came in the form of man. This is what I want you to see. He chose to live a fully surrendered life to the will of the Father. That's the point I want you to, I want you to get this. He chose when he says, I came down not to do my own will, but to do the will of my Father, that was a choice he made because he also had a free will. And that leads me to my next point. Now, when I talk about surrendering, I'm talking about something that is, called a, that is considered to be a journey. It's not something that you can, can do in, in, overnight. It's a lifetime journey. But surrendering does, is not only a lifetime journey, but it's also a choice. Go with me to John chapter 10. Jesus chose to surrender his life to God. John chapter 10 in verse 17 says this. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Verse 18 says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. Now, the command that he received from the father was to lay down his life. But I want you to listen to this from the Amplified Version. No one takes it away from me, referring to his life. On the contrary, he says, I lay it down voluntarily. I put it from myself. Now go quickly to Mark chapter 14. And again, we're looking at some examples of a surrendered life. And Jesus is the most 
absolute prime example of that. Mark chapter 14. This is where Jesus had just finished celebrating the Passover, and he went to the garden, choosing three of his disciples to come with him, because now it was a critical time of his life. As he entered into the garden, he began to pray. And in verse 35, it says this, And he went a little farther, and he fell on the ground, and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Verse 36, And he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Notice this. Now, he says this, the hour might pass from him. Well, what hour was he talking about? Look down in verse 41. It says, then he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Referring to the disciples. It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Verse 42 says, rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So as he was praying, the hour was coming, and he was asking, Lord, let this hour pass me by. Understand that when the betrayer came, the moment they came, they betrayed him, that was the beginning of his cup of suffering. That's when they apprehended him, and from that point on, the rest is history. But Jesus understood this, and so this was a very critical time for him, and he prayed, and the Bible describes the humanity of Jesus because it said that he was fully distressed and sorrowful and grieving because of what he was about to face. That's the human side of Jesus. And understand that he had his own free will. And so when he prayed to God, Lord, if there's any way possible that this hour would pass from me, if there's any way that this cup of suffering can pass by me, but this is the choice he made. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He offered his complete submission to his father's will, even at the ultimate cost. So this was Jesus' prayer in the modern vernacular. He says, Lord, if it is in your best interest to remove the suffering, then please do so. But Lord, if this cup of suffering is going to fulfill a purpose, then that's what I want to do. That is the attitude of surrender. It was his desire to have this cup pass from him. But he also knew ultimately that it was not his will, but it was the, Lord, the will of the Father. Amen. Now go to me to Acts chapter 20. Let's look at another example. Acts chapter 20. And, you know, I'm just laying the groundwork here because, again, you know, I'm going to be speaking again next Wednesday. So I want to uh, take my time with this. Acts chapter 20, here we see a story where uh, the Apostle Paul had just finished his journey from um, Macedonia and, and Greece. Then he went and made a stop over at Philippi and over into Miletus, and then ended up at Ephesus. 
Now in Ephesus, he gathered up the elders because this was the last time he was going to see them because he was now getting ready to make a journey to Jerusalem. And so he, <laughs> he gathers them together and speaks his last words and final instructions. And then he says this in verse 22. And see now, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. Verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Now, it's interesting when he said, I go bound in the spirit. What does that mean? Well, the word bound means to be tied or to be chained. But, it, of course, it's obvious that he wasn't physically bound or physically uh, tied up or chained. He was talking about the spirit. What he was referring to here is this, that the spirit of God has such influence and power over uh, Paul's life that every time the spirit of God prompted him to do this or prompted him to go there, he, the Bible says it, it's almost like he had no choice, even though he did have a choice. But because the influence of the Holy Ghost was so strong in his life and because he was so committed and completely surrendered to the Spirit of God that no matter how many times the Spirit of God prompted him and no matter how much the strong urgings came, he knew better but to simply follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. How many of you have been prompted by the Holy Spirit to do something and then pretended like you didn't hear what he said? Come on. But because of the relationship that Paul had with the Spirit of God, and because he was so surrendered, completely surrendered to the Spirit of God and to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, that whenever the Spirit of God told him to do this, he did it. As a matter of fact, there are several examples in the Bible. In Acts chapter 13, in verse 4, you don't need to turn there. The Bible says that the Spirit of God sent them forth, and they departed to Seleucia and also to Cyprus. Well, that was before when they were praying in verse 2 of chapter 13 of Acts. As they were praying and fasting, both Paul and Barnabas, along with prophets and teachers, as they were praying and fasting, the Spirit of God interrupted them and says, separate me, both Paul and Barnabas, for work that I've called them to do. And then after that, the Bible says that the Spirit of God sent them forth. In Acts chapter 16 and verse 6, once again, Paul and Silas began to preach the gospel, and they were on their way to go to Asia, but the Spirit of God prompted them and warned them and forbade them to go to Asia to preach the gospel. And each time the Spirit of God prompted Paul and Silas or Paul and Barnabas, they followed the promptings of the Holy Spirit. But see, what I'm telling you here, what I'm showing you here is the surrendering of the Apostle Paul of the Spirit of God. Man, to have that kind of relationship with the Spirit of God. Whenever you receive a prompting from the Spirit to give somebody a call, or prompting from the Spirit of God to forgive somebody you don't want to forgive. Man, to have that kind of relationship. But Paul had that relationship. And every time he had the strong urging of the Spirit of God to do something in ministry, he followed that leading. But this is what I want you to see. Even though... He said this in verse 22. He says, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. In other words... Because I'm so in tune with the Spirit of God, I don't have a choice. I'm going to go. And he said this, I don't know what's going to happen there except what the Spirit of God testified, that chains and tribulations await me. 
So Paul didn't even know what he was about to face, but he knew that whatever it was, it was going to be unpleasant. But because he was so in tune to the Spirit of God and because he was surrendered to the Spirit of God, he decided to go. But I love his attitude. Look in verse 24. Even though he did not know what to expect, whether chains, tribulations, beatings, maybe even death. But in verse 24, he says, but none of these move me. No, do I count my life dear to myself. Why? So that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The apostle Paul was so focused in fulfilling the ministry that God had called him to that he was completely surrendered to God to complete that mission. And it did not matter. It was even in the face of life and death, he was committed and surrendered to carry out the will of God. That's what I'm talking about. That's where I want to be. So, but isn't that the reason why God gave us the Spirit of God? Isn't that the reason so that he can prompt us, so he can give us this strong urgence to carry out his will? But none of these move me. Hallelujah. But I love this, what the whole attitude of Paul. Because he said, listen, sometimes we feel like life's a failure if we don't get something out of life. We feel life is, is done or dead if we've not gotten anything out of life. Enjoyment, wealth, popularity, success. But Paul's attitude was quite different. Because he considered life worth nothing unless he was doing God's work. Listen to this. What Paul put into life was far more important than what he, what he could have gotten out of life. Let me say that again. What Paul put into life was far more important than what he would have gotten out of life. Now, the question I have for you is this. What is important to you? What, you, what to get out of life or what to put into life? Ask yourself that question. <laughs> Hallelujah. Can you put one of those points up for me? I, I spotted this. Uh, I found this uh, in the Internet. Uh, this is uh, four points Describing surrender, uh, the surrendering, what surrendering life means, or surrendering your life means, by Rick Warren. And I thought it was good to, to share it tonight. But the first point is this. Surrendering your life means this. Following God's lead without knowing where he's sending you. Now that reminds me of Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, where God appeared to Abraham and told Abraham, pack your bags, leave your family, leave your, your, your home, leave your, your place of employment, and I'm going to show you a place that I'm going to take you. That was it. That was all he got. That was all the information he received. But he followed the leading of the Lord without knowing where he was being sent. The second point, surrendering your life means... Survey say... <laughs> waiting for God's timing without knowing when it will come. How many times have we prayed and prayed and waited on the Lord, not knowing when? And how many times have we asked the Lord, Lord, when? 
I don't know how many times I've used that word when. But surrendering your life to the Lord is waiting for God's timing without knowing when it will come. The third point. Expecting a miracle without knowing how God will provide it. Boy, I tell you, I love this one. Because we're all expecting miracles some way, somehow. But we just don't know how God will do it. But when we surrender our lives to him, we're just saying, Lord, I'm just going to let you worry about that. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to get stressed about it. I'm going to you take care of that. You know how to do this better than I do. Expecting a miracle without knowing how God will provide. And then the final point. Trusting God's purpose without understanding the circumstances. So you can be going through a terrible circumstances and you're standing and done, and done all the stand, trusting God, not understanding why the circumstances. But yet you surrender to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going to stay focused on you. I'm going to keep my eyes on you and you're going to take care of the situation. I don't know why I'm going through this. I don't know why all this is happening, but I'm just going to trust in you, Lord. So that's what it means to surrender to the Lord. So the next point I want, the next, well, you can take that off now. The next thing I want to talk about is this. Why surrender? Why is it so important for us to surrender? Why is it necessary? Because, you know, I'm so used to being in control of my life. I'm so used to being in charge. So why is it necessary for me to do so? Well, the first reason, or the first point, is this. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We surrender because we're not our own. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and then verse 19 and verse 20. Oh, do you not know that your body is the temple or the sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have from God, and you are not your own. Verse 20, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He says you are not your own. And remember what I said, that surrendering is fully relinquishing our rights to own ourselves. So the Bible says that our bodies are his temple. It's his dwelling place. And because it's his dwelling place, we belong to him. Why? Because we were bought with a price. When you buy something from the store, you walk out with that item because why? It's yours. You purchased it. No one can say anything about it. Nobody can take it away from you. Nobody can question it because you purchased it. Well, we were purchased as well. And so, therefore, we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to God. And so, that's all the reason why we have to surrender. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, because we don't belong to ourselves, that's, that's a difficult concept to, to, you know, to, to accept. Because every day of my life, I don't think about that. But imagine if we train ourselves to think that we don't belong to ourselves, but we belong to something far higher than ourselves. 
Imagine what our life would be like. But let me say this. Because we don't belong to ourselves, because we were purchased with a price, it would be a prideful thing. It would even be an arrogant thing to assume authority over something that doesn't even belong to us. Think about that. Who are we to assume authority over something that God had claimed and purchased? 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 18 says this, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct or useless ways of living received by the tradition of your fathers, but you were bought or you were redeemed with the precious and costly blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Hallelujah. Peter tells us that the blood of Christ had a greater value than silver and gold. The blood of Jesus accomplished more than all the wealth in this world. There's nothing in this universe that can purchase our soul, that can save our souls. But it took the precious blood of Jesus, which carries an eternal value. That blood still is effective today as it was over 2,000 years ago. And that blood will continue to go and continue to work and continue to be effective. That's what makes it us, him, his, uh, belong to him because of the blood that he, per that, that, he, that he spent to gain us or to gain ownership of our lives. So silver and gold was not sufficient. And you know, unlike silver and gold, which tends to fluctuate in value, the blood of Jesus never fluctuates in value. It always has eternal value. Glory to God. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Second Corinthians chapter 6. And in verse 16 it says this, And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This promise of God to live in us has been already fulfilled in Christ. So to surrender is not about letting God in. He's already in. Surrendering is about kicking us out to get us out of the way. So we need to stop acting like we own ourselves and we still have control over our lives. Because that's what we do. We walk around like we're in charge. When God should be in charge. He has every right to. Because he purchased us. See, all it requires is for us to relinquish that control. And say, Lord, here I am. I'm going to do with me as you please. Let me ask you this. How many of you get mad at God? for either doing something or not doing something for your life. Come on, it's all right. Nobody's going to take notes or anything like that. I'm taking no names. Most of us have gotten angry with God for what either he did or what he didn't do for our life. Well, is it your life? It's not your life. It's his. So what right do we have to get mad at him? It's his life. Right? 
But the fact that, that we get angry is proof that we still think that it is our life. And see, we need to get rid of this attitude of ownership. The moment we do that, then we can easily surrender ourselves to him. But we got to stop acting like we own ourselves because we don't belong to ourselves anymore. So this is what we need to say. This is the attitude that we need to have. We need to say, Lord, make my life whatever you want it to be and not what I think it ought to be. I want you to say this with me because I want this settled once and for all. Okay, once you make this confession, it's between you and God. Say this with me. Lord, I am, he, I am yours. I am the work of your hands. I am your adopted child. My very body houses the Holy Spirit. I am a vessel created by God. To be filled by him. I am not my own. It's that simple. Now it's between you and God. Go to Romans chapter 12. So one of the reasons why we should surrender is because we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to him. We're his property. So that's all the reason why we need to surrender. The second reason why we need to surrender is found in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. And that is, it takes the pressure out of our hands of trying to be what we think we should be. To be a living sacrifice will take that pressure off of us because we're always trying to be something that we're not. And God just helps us to take that pressure off when we surrender to him. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Not a dead sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So by becoming a living sacrifice, we're saying to God, Lord, I'm relinquishing my rights to be what I think I ought to be and place myself into your hands so that you can make me to be what you want me to be. That's what it means to surrender. That's what it means to become a living sacrifice. Go to Isaiah chapter 64. The first reason why we should surrender to God is because we belong to him. The second reason is it takes the pressure out of our trying to be what we think we should be by being a living sacrifice. Isaiah 64 and verse 8 says this, But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, you are our potter. And all we are the work of your hand. Israel was to be like the obedient child, submissive as the clay in the potter's hand. That's what we need to be as well. We need to be like clay where God can freely and unhindered shaping and molding and remaking, reshaping us to be what he wants us to be. Let me close with this. I don't know if anybody knows anything about sculpting. I, I'm not, believe me, I don't know much about that. But what I do know is that when a sculptor 
creates an image or something out of a stone, it requires a lot of hammering and chiseling and a lot of uh, cutting away, uh, you know, these chunks of blocks. Michelangelo, most of you know who Michelangelo is, is a well-known and famous Italian painter and sculptor and engineer and all these wonderful things back in the Renaissance period in the Middle Ages. Well, one day he, uh, he, uh, he made a, a, a beautiful angel. It's called the Angel of Michelangelo. It's one of his earlier works. And somebody loved it so much and admired it. And this person asked Michelangelo, how can you create such a beautiful ma uh, masterpiece like this? How do you do it? And Michelangelo just gave him a very simple, simple answer. He said, well, it's quite simple. All you have to do is take away everything from the block that doesn't look like an angel. That's it. It's a simple answer, but a very profound answer because, you see, that's what God does when we surrender to him. What he does is when we give up our attempts to hide uh, certain areas of our lives from him and allow him to come into our lives and begin to chip away and remove everything that doesn't look like Christ so that what's left, so we can begin to look more like him. See, that's why it's so important that we surrender to him because God, he, listen, the Bible says in Ephesians 2.10 that we are his workmanship or his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. I love what it says, in Christ Jesus. That means that Jesus is the blueprint by which God creates us. So when it's all said and done, we look more like Christ. But this is, a, this is something that God wants to do with us. And the more we allow him to come into our lives, and listen, there are many of us here who, have, who put up no trespassing signs in certain areas of their lives, not allowing God access into those areas. You know what they are. But if you surrender those areas to God, watch what he does, because then you allow him to come in and begin to chip away and remove huge blocks of stuff that doesn't look like Christ. So when he's done, you begin to start looking more like his son. But you need to surrender that to the Lord. You need to let that go. You need to allow him to come and say, Lord, I'm open game. Come into my house and begin to do a renovation. Remove the no trespassing sign from those areas and let God come in and do what he needs to do. Stop trying to hinder him from becoming the potter in your life and become that pliable clay so he can freely shape you and mold you to the person that he wants you to be rather than you trying to be who you think you ought to be. God has the blueprint. His name is Jesus. And he wants to create us in his image. But the more we allow him to do that, the more he's able to do that. But you've got to let him in. And you do that by simply surrendering your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that you've done, all that you will continue to do in our lives. Father, we, we, we surrender our lives to you, Lord God. We surrender every area of our lives, Father God. We give it to you tonight. The things that we're afraid of, the things that we don't want exposed, Father God, we we open up ourselves to you tonight and begin to do a mighty work in us. 
Father, we thank you, Lord God, for the word tonight. We thank you, Father, that you've challenged us to look into our lives and see what needs to be surrendered. Father, I thank you, Lord, for pointing these uh, these things out for us. I thank you for the Holy Spirit, Father, for speaking to everyone that is here tonight. I thank you, Father God, for doing the work. Father, we thank you. Father, we know that you love us. And we know that you want the best for us. And we know, Father God, that you have our best interests at heart in all that you want to do. And so, Father, we ask that you come into our lives. We're giving you permission to come, Lord God, as we surrender everything to you tonight. And have your way. Begin the shaping and molding process. Begin to sculpt our lives so that we become more and more like you. And so, Father, we thank you. We praise you. We, we, we honor you today. Thank you for being so faithful to us. Thank you for being so patient with us. Thank you for putting up with so many things with us. Thank you for not giving up on us. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for the work that's being done. We thank you for the result of that work. And we rejoice in Jesus' name.